0: Welcome, ladies and gentlemen, back to another episode of the Owl's Nest, bringing you a bird's-eye view of all the action happening in the Overwatch League, which, for the past week, not a whole lot going on, as all of the coaches, players, and staff take a much-deserved break uh, following the May melee. But we do have a special guest joining us here today. Of course, you know Jake is along, as always, but we are also joined by head coach of the Dallas Fuel, Aaron Arrow-Atkins. Arrow, welcome to the Owl's Nest.
1: Thank you very much for having me. Glad to be here.
0: So the first thing that I wanted to talk about, which I don't know if it's on everybody else's mind, but I can't stop thinking about it, is the Dallas versus Houston rivalry is probably at the height of where it has ever been. You know, unfortunately, last year, we only got the one match between the two teams but this year, we got to see obviously the first match that went down during the regular season. We got the Lone Star Challenge, and then the very next week, you guys went up against each other again for the May Melee tournament. And it's been very back and forth. So, you know, I want to get your take on what do you think makes the Dallas versus Houston rivalry so much better than any of the other rivalries within the league?
1: Yeah. Well, I mean, there's a few uh, pretty obvious factors. I mean, though, both teams being in Texas. Um, but I think, you know. One of the big things for me is just there's a lot of history uh, between a lot of the players, uh, former teams. You know, whether it was World Cup or whether it was you know pre Overwatch League, there's a lot of history between players, uh, between coaches. Arsh is a good friend of mine, you know, Uh, and so to be able to have that kind of um, you know story behind um, you know the match, it's not just a match anymore. You know, it means so much more. Um, And I think you know both teams have very um what's the word I'm looking for? Very active fan bases. they're you know very engaged. so it, it makes it um, a lot a lot more interesting when when our teams are playing each other. so uh, definitely a fun a fun little rivalry there.
0: So Jake obviously having come from uh, the Houston side, I know that you know me and you have a little bit of bias, but what's been been one of your favorite aspects watching these two teams battle back and forth all season long or I mean really just for the past I guess you know two months.
2: Well, I mean, I think this season in particular, um, I mean, it's something that's been true every season of the Overwatch League, I think, where just the competition has gotten better and better. Like, not only do individual players just get better at the game because the game's been out longer, uh, but also teams come together more effectively. They have more resources behind them um, on the player side, the coaching side, and, and like, the, the player management, player wellness side. And I think it all comes together for this perfect storm of, like, every team is getting better. But I think in particular... Houston and Dallas have had like especially strong trends over time. Where um, like have this is like the best of, of each team, I think this season. I don't think there's any question about that. That this is the best each each team has ever been. So uh, as far as a rivalry that has been sort of simmering for a while, has been interesting and popular for a while. Now it's like these two teams are just getting better and better. So uh, in my mind, like that is like the ultimate storyline. Like both teams rising through the ranks together, but still. You know, clashing, going back and forth through that process. Um, sort of the, the perfect storm. Like, you couldn't really write this any better, I think.
0: Yeah. So, for me, I think the standout performance, you know, of the rivalry so far is definitely Decay's performance on that Rialto where he just went off on the Widowmaker. And, you know, Eric, I was hoping you could maybe give us a little bit of behind the scenes uh, information here. You know, how did that come about? Was that something that was planned out? Or, you know, did Decay just sort of in the moment was just feeling the Widowmaker and knew that he could swing that match?
1: Yeah. So, the Widowmaker specifically, we dabbled with it a little bit in scrims. So we didn't put a ton of time into it. Um, in general, Widow has very specific uses in, the, in that kind of meta. Um, but when we were in the match, you know, Dante's playstyle on Echo is different from a lot of other Echo playstyles. I mean, you look at a uh, player like Rascal, player like Dante, very different playstyles. Um, and so, our goal, we were talking about it at halftime and, and after the Hanamura map where... It's like okay, we need to figure out how do we how do we prevent Dante from getting so much value from from these flanks that he's doing, from these side angles he's taking. Um and one of those options was was Widow. Um, Decay saw it on at the end of Hanamura <clears throat> as an option, and we talked about it and we're like, hey, let's keep doing it. You know, let's go for it on Rialto. Um, it means that uh, you know there's a slight difference in in ash and widow in you know how aggressive echo can be widow's a lot more punishing but it's a lot harder to punish the echo um so we were like you know what decay like if if you're feeling it go for it you know he's one of those players that um if if he's on fire with a certain hero um and we have some time playing around it like we have at least some kind of basis on what it you know what what it would what it would look like to support it uh then you know i'm willing to to um, you know, trust his call if he feels like Widow's going to work. And so all those things combined were like, okay, let's do it. Rialto, let's go. Um, you know, and so our goal was like, all right, if we can can stuff Dante's Echo, um, then Decay should have free reign to do whatever he wants. And, and I think uh, we accomplished that for sure on Rialto.
2: Yeah, I was thinking like it's a pretty, I was talking about it casting, that it's like a very high confidence pick because uh, if you look at like the way the meta has been pretty much everyone's been playing been playing ash echo with that with that comp because those heroes well you know like well echo does have this flanking utility they both break shield very fast and and that's what it's kind of all about in the in the sigma Orissa mirror so when you pick widow you put yourself in i would argue like a a, a like a theoretically losing position yeah. you know like a theoretically if nothing happens if nobody makes any plays the team with Ash and Echo is going to break your shields and they're going to just kill you first while their shields are still having a little bit left because mm-hmm. Widow's just not an efficient shield breaker. But that is sort of, you know, when you look at the results, it's like you would not ever think that, right? Like with, with <laughs> what Decay did, you would not think this is a losing hero. I mean, even when Dante's like getting behind him and killing him off, he's finding a kill like in that one yeah. second before the sticky bombs detonate, you know? So just to have like a player go that insane, make those kind of clutch shots. The one that just did it to me was... Um, who was? I think it was Rappel Was like, uh, or maybe it was, was Jackson. I can't remember. But someone playing BAP. They were coming out of spawn, and he was like jumping up and and, and falling down. And there's just like like a freaking half yeah. body gap between the shield and and the the top of the ceiling. And, and Decay like sees his head coming up, just locks on, just instant kill. I was like, what yeah. is that shot? Like, if you're the BAP, you're like you would never drop the drone <laughs> there. You would never suspect yeah. that you're gonna die. Like you just would not think it's possible.
1: When when we, started, when we started working with Decay at the beginning of the season, um, you know, in our offices, it was a joke among the coaches because we'd we'd watch him and be like, "This kid is a a genetic aim freak." <laughs> I, I've never seen anyone uh, with just his uh, like understanding of how to control the mouse in that kind of space and and you know aiming everything. He's he's uh, incredible when it comes to that that sort of thing.
0: So, Jake, a uh, quick question I have for you. Obviously, you know, uh, having been in the position of the player, you know, you had mentioned that theoretically choosing a widow going into that comp doesn't seem like it's the best idea. And it could, you know, it obviously was the difference between winning or losing. What is your mind state as a player like going into a match and knowing that if I don't perform in this instance on this hero, that's the match for my team?
2: I mean, it's like the ultimate pressure moment to, to pick a hero like that. I, I think... I could see why he did it though after after Hanamura because that second defense he made like a ton of great fight saving plays on Widow that were similarly in like do or die scenarios where if he doesn't get a pick he, like fuel will probably lose the the second point but he gets a pick so they hold it and like that happened a few times to give them at least a decent time bank hold and then still coming back on the dive. Um, I mean that for me the series was so like I was just so impressed with the kid because it wasn't just. The widow and the ash like which we know decay is dominant on but also like he just went crazy on tracer on like making the 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 overtime work just by being really far down in the time bank just like kind of destroyed dante a couple times on the tracer duel like when dante got picked off and then allah still moved in it was still looking good for them because they could sort of have the tracer just flank from spawn but decay like realizes this and then goes for the one clip and spawn and Dante's just not ready and I think he just died without recall it wasn't, it wasn't on POV but I'm pretty sure he did because he died so fast so I think Decay is just like playing on such an intelligent level to like he's got the timings down for the enemy tracer coming out of spawn and knows where to punish her and you know so that and that was, so like, you're just like there's nowhere that this guy is weak but back to what you're saying sorry about like the, the widow thing it's just like if you don't get picks you're probably losing in that fight um, I think on the flip side I think Linkser like didn't Play optimally against Widow, but it's probably because nobody has like been playing Widow, right? So like that is sort of the value in having that confidence to go for the unorthodox pick. Because Linkster was like taking peaks, which really in the Ash Widow matchup, I think the correct play style Ash is just like go AFK and shoot the shield like twenty four seven until it breaks. Like do not ever peak anything because that's what you do to be Widow. You break their shields first, and you don't care about the Widow. You just don't give her any opportunities. But Sure did take some risky peaks, which like. You know, if Decay doesn't hit the first shot, then he'll be Link's will be fine. But Decay, of course, hits the first <laughs> shot, and then Linkser felt like he had to take the duel. And I mean, he even played fine on, Widow. like it's not like Linkser had a bad game because oh, Decay just has a free game, so it's easy. But no, like Linkser played well. Linkser even won some duels, but Decay just kept coming back with like more and more each time. So it's one of those performances I think I'm going to remember for a long time. Of just like wow, like a, like a player really going to a level that. Even Decay, I don't think, is going to be able to do that every time. Like, that's a truly special level. But to do that when the pressure is on maximum in the rivalry game, playoffs, you know, win or go home. Like, basically all of, like, the worst case scenarios for a player where, like, everything is as high pressure as it could be. There's no better environment to prove yourself as a player than that.
0: So, uh, you know, speaking of, obviously, the main melee and the tournament format, uh, you know, there's been some talk around the Overwatch scene, you know, from players and coaches that with the weekly hero bans and the meta constantly changing, that can be a pretty stressful time right now trying to figure out, you know, within just a few days what you're going to be playing for the weekend. So with the tournament play and hero pools going away, you know, how's the change in the tournament format been for the Dallas Fuel Arrow?
1: Um, Well, I think tournament format in general, um, I'm a big fan of it. I think that it, it, in general um, it forces you to think a little bit differently about your season and you know you have so many more do or die moments like you know we, we have to perform now or we're out of the tournament you know um, but I think um, it creates it creates a lot of hype and it makes your it makes your team bond more because it's just more pressure situations whereas when you're in the season format and you have you know it's like okay we play one game this week we play um, <clears throat> you know it it you're preparing more for the long run Um, but when you add hero pools on top of it so hero pools um, really kind of throw a wrench in coaching structure um, because you know like you said you have one week to figure out what you're gonna play Um, and I think hero pools um, are an interesting an interesting idea and when you mix them with the tournament stuff it creates a whole different environment than what any any player or teams used to um, because you know you have to focus on you know very specific things and what you're trying to accomplish within the week and you have to decide that fast which means it's a it's a, a ton of time reviewing and talking um, more so than, than just uh, you know grinding out one thing over and over again um, so I think um, the tournament style format works well um, in tandem with hero pools maybe some tweaks here and there to to um, to make it, you know, feel a little smoother and a little easier on the coaching staffs, um, you know, from experience. But um, but overall, I think tournament format is really nice. I mean, it, it, the May Melee, it felt like, you know, the old tournaments pre-Overwatch League where there's a lot of nostalgia for, for a lot of the fans, for a bunch of, you know, teams that used to play. Just how you can see a team like, like Florida Mayhem, for example. I think they're a great example of, you know, a team that I knew from scrims that they they can be a really strong team you know and then to be able to come into a tournament format where it's one one weekend of these guys get to get to prove themselves against team after team after team and show that you know it's it's they're up there with the best you know in in our region i think it's a really cool storyline to be able to follow and um you know i think that tournaments in general enable that more so
0: so looking forward then, uh, yeah, obviously we have our two weeks off, and I don't know that it's officially been announced yet, but based on the success of the May Melee tournament, I think that we can probably assume that we're going to continue to do some of these tournaments going forward. So, you know, what is left in store for the Dallas Fuel, and, uh, you know, how do you see the rest of the season sort of playing out if we have the three weeks worth of Hero Pools going into the tournament format here?
1: Um, well, I mean, you know, our goal is... We, we've been working super hard to trying to figure out what is the best format for us in terms of coaching structure, uh, mm. practice structure going into these tournaments or, or into this kind of style. Um, and so, you know, I, th- I think we've, we've, we've kind of nailed down how we want to do it. And so it's um, a lot of learning on the fly. But I feel like, um, you know, we're, we're in a situation where we're able to, to, really, uh, to really grow. Um, and I think it's shown already the growth that we've done so far. But you know, it's time for us to push it to the next step Um, because we've right now we've gotten super close to beating the tough teams but we haven't beat the toughest teams yet you know and so that's that's our next step is how can we get over that uh that that hump that how do we get to that goal you know how do we accomplish that and so um you know for for these the rest of this season it's um you know just trying to perfect our structure going into it because i think if if the hero pool style stays, I mean, anything can happen. I know Overwatch League has been talking a lot about structure stuff they want to do. Um, so assuming it stays like it is, you know, our goal is try to make sure that we can get the most out of practice, um, you know, when, with such a short time to decide what we're going to do. So um, up to this point, it's been a lot of learning and we feel like we've got a good layout to how we're doing it now. So we just have to keep, um, you know, going over and perfecting our strategy. You know, I think there's a lot of little things we can work on as a team but uh, you know we're just gonna make those our goals at the same time trying to figure out how, how the meta's gonna work so um, it's a lot but you know I think we're on the cusp of being one of the you know one of the better teams and uh, you know just gonna try to push forward to get there
0: alright one final question for you then uh, Sideshow was just signed to a two week contract by The Mayhem <laughs> Kaplan help them. Uh, and if you had to pit one of your players against, let's say, Bren, or suffer his presence on your team for two weeks, which player would you choose, and what hero would the 1v1 be on?
1: Any. Um, hmm. Well, I love Bren. <laughs> uh, but I think any, any player would be able to, uh, you know. <laughs> <laughs> but... Bren Bren does like to say does like to think he's a good widow and a good Genji. Ooh. So let's let's put him up against Decay on either one of those and see what happens. You know, I'm calling oh you out, God. Bren. It's All right. right.
0: It's right. <laughs> well, Arrow, thank you once again for joining us here on the Owl's Nest. It's been an absolute pleasure.
1: Thank you very much. Alright, as always okay. guys,
0: uh, we love to know what you hear Let us know uh, over on uh, Facebook and Twitter, that's CheckpointXP On both, you can also find Jake at JakeOW, and of course uh, The Dallas Fuel, and uh, Arrow, what's your uh, Social media so people can check you out if they haven't already
1: uh, Yeah, my uh, Twitter is Arrow underscore OW um, And that's basically where you'll be able to find uh, Everything from there So,
0: Alright guys, we'll be right back with some more talk About the Overwatch League May Melee tournament format coming up next
1: Do <laughs> do
0: back, ladies and gentlemen, to the Owl's Nest. We just got done done talking to Head Coach Arrow of the Dallas Fuel. And uh, now I wanted to take a second, uh, you know, with Jake here to talk a little bit about what we saw overall from the May Melee tournament format from the start to the finish here. And, uh, you know, I think the first and the biggest thing that I noticed, uh, which the league has been criticized for, uh, you know, the past few months, and that's viewership on YouTube. Uh, The few times that I'd actually noticed to pay attention to it uh, was more than double what it normally was now. Some of that may be taken into account of the fact that tokens are back, uh, although they can only be earned on the OWL website or the app. But uh, Jake, sort of just overall, I want to get your opinions of how you thought the May Melee, uh, you know, played out compared to the regular season that we had seen up to this point so far.
2: Well, I just think, um, I think token's certainly a part of it. It's hard to know how much, but in my mind, I feel like the, the real bigger reason is that tournament win or go home format, you know, I think... Um, with such a long season in the Overwatch League I think that's a good thing because it means there's content like for a lot of the year you know it's not mm-hmm. like where it's all on a burst and you have to wait 9 months you know so it's a little bit more spread out but at the same time I think having these short-term formats and I love the bonus wins format of it because that it's still part of the overall season it still has like relevance to the overall narrative of the season but it's just this microcosm in which the pressure is on heavily for that little bit of time right like in and I think that it just creates a great environment to, you know, sort of simulate playoffs and still be part of this overall season. Um, So I think, like, as far as just the intensity of the matches and the emotion that's there for the teams, it's just naturally going to be way more intense and way more entertaining. So I I think for me that, that that's the reason, like... If, if I were just a fan of the Overwatch League, that would be the reason I tuned in over, over tokens, personally.
0: Well, and I think, you know, since I, th- I think a lot of people were probably disappointed with the fact that the stage format was scrapped, uh, you know, from the last two seasons. Because it does give, I think, fans and teams who tend to be a little bit lower on the totem pole, you know, something to work for, right? In a regular season, the way that we were going, you know, the Boston Uprising, where they are, let's say, miraculously, they somehow get a win off over the New York Excelsior well, great, now you're, you know, what, 1-11, in doesn't do a whole lot for you. But in a tournament format, you know, being able to have a comeback story like that, you know, the Seoul Dynasty against the Shanghai Dragons, I think, is the perfect example. You know, that storyline right there and the bonus wins that they got may end up down the road doing a little bit something for them. But, uh, you know, I guess my question uh, for, for you would be, what do you think the original intent behind scrapping the stage format and going to something that was a little bit more in line with traditional sports was to begin with?
2: Um, To be honest, I think the idea probably was more based on scheduling than, like, the entertainment value of it. I think probably the idea of, this, of the issue with stage format is that if you're having these different home stands, then there's going to be, like, if you look at it, you know, pre-COVID, like, when they're looking at planning right. the season, then it might be hard to have these, like, every team has 10 games or every team has... Uh, whatever it is, you know, seven games. And then we do like, we take those seven games and then we do a little tournament, right? Like it, it was way harder. Like that format just wouldn't work anymore. Um, so I think that was why they scrapped it because there just wasn't going to be a way to have every team have the same number of matches and then go into a tournament. Um, but then the monthly tournament sort of sidesteps that by saying the only qualifying games are, like, these set of games. Mm-hmm. So then it's a little bit easier to have that consistency and have a tournament. So I actually think it was really just a scheduling issue that made, with, like, transitioning to all home stands made um, the, their old stage format just a little bit obsolete. Like, I don't think it would have been, like, competitively fair, at least the way it used to be. So – you know, I, obviously, I would have loved to see this tournament system come in before, but I think probably the owl is just kind of scrambling. Like, let's get this thing going. Let's get it all working mm-hmm. uh, before we worry about that stuff. So, uh, ultimately, I think it's a really good thing to have this tournament format come back. But I think the stage format, just yeah, the scheduling would have been too difficult.
0: So, do you think the three weeks of hero bands for seeding and then the no hero band tournament is that the right way to go, or do you think there's room for a little bit more finagling with the way that it works?
2: Personally, I really like uh, the hero pool rotation. I think that it keeps things in flux, and even though it adds like more um, like learning, and you know, everyone has to adapt. You know, it is still competitively fair because everyone has that same pressure on them to adapt in, into each thing, and especially because the tournament itself, where the bonus wins are the, the most important part, right, is um, at least in terms of potential upside for these teams, it, it comes from a, a, a is, is a situation where there's no hero pool right so it's going to be the same as playoffs it's going to give you that little glimpse into playoffs but at the same time i do think hero pools have kept the game fresh have kept um one meta from becoming dominant because when you're forced to adapt week after week after week you don't have the opportunity to like scrim every single team in your division and when you start to do that and 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 it starts to look like you have like a month of just scrimming every team in your division there there will become like a dominant strategy that like every team eventually adopts. That's sort of how it's always gone in Overwatch. Because once you figure out this best strategy and everyone starts playing it, then not playing it is is just brutally painful because the other team is going to be so good at the strategy they practice all day and you try and counter it on this one map with a special counter strategy. It's just so much harder to do that. So when you shake things up, it prevents one strategy from being practiced that way. So it allows you to be more creative, play to your team's strengths, and not feel so... Like beholden is the word I would use to, to the meta and beholden to what is supposed to be good. Um, so what that means is that even when you take the hero bands away, we still see the actual tournament format where teams are playing lots of different stuff and still being creative because they've been experimenting for the last three weeks. They've been trying different stuff for the last three weeks. Um, and even though there's no hero pool, there's only no hero pool for like a week. So you, again, even with the, the game environment without any hero pool, still it's like not enough time for teams to sort of, find that we're going to play this 24-7 strategy. Um, so I think preventing that is like a high priority because personally what I love about Overwatch is the hero swapping, is the counterpicking. Like you, this team tries this strategy and, and but we're going to come out with this strategy and then we're going to adapt throughout the match and constantly counterpick each other and constantly adjust. To me that is like really the meat of like what makes competitive Overwatch such a great game. So uh, I think the hero pool enables that.
0: Yeah, Overwatch in its purest form. Uh, Final question, then. You know, when it comes to this new format, if it's what they're sticking to—the three weeks of hero pools tournament with no hero pools—do you think that there are any teams that might rise to the top that've sort of been stuck in the middle? There, you know, who who would you say to keep your eye out for under this format?
2: Well, I think um, what's cool is that I don't, I don't honestly don't know if there's a team that this gives like a big advantage to. Um, If anything, I would say that um, it's probably, despite like being a different Te- format technically but when you remove hero pools I think you'll probably see pretty similar results to the hero to like the situation with hero pools Unless there's a hero pool that like really hurts a team where the team like really likes to run a certain strategy Then they and the hero pool comes in and changes that then they might be in trouble um, So there are some teams I think that that do That that seem to be that way where they, they either avoid one style or they prefer one style um, but honestly at this point in the overwatch league like there aren't many teams that you can say that about uh in my mind like there aren't many teams that are limited anymore you know that that used to be a thing where teams would sort of clearly have a style that that they preferred but i just think that's kind of gone by the wayside as teams get better and better the players get better and better like these players have been playing for years and years it's like you know these three tanks then i mean especially in, in the current season there's been a ton of off tank players learning main tank heroes um you know, especially with Echo in the game, like DPS players are learning tank heroes. <laughs> so it, it, it really creates a situation where you can't expect to do well if you are a limited team like that. So I think almost every team has realized this and is pushing on an individual basis and as a, and on a team basis to become a more diverse team. So um, to, in my mind, like, I, I just think that this is this is creating this whole evolution of the league where we're going to just see more flexibility and see that as a more critical skill. Um, which just it hasn't been so much in the past seasons where there've been these dominant metas for a long period of time where you you have a long time to practice the heroes that you're gonna be supposed to play uh, instead of being forced to practice them all and, and keep them all up to par. So in my mind, like I don't know if I don't know if I can predict like who's gonna be good at coming out of that system, like who's gonna adapt the best. Um, if anything, I would just look to like who are the best coaches, who has the best structure, um, and I think this format is gonna be a way to like lift those people up, right, and, and show why a, play, a coach like Krusty is such a like huge boon to his team that, you know, Shock has never really looked unprepared, they've never really looked confused, no matter what hero pool or no hero pool that they, that they go into.
0: All right, well, I think uh, one thing's for certain, the tournament format hopefully is here to say uh, there isn't a whole lot of negative sentiment uh, around it. And it gave us some great Overwatch. So, coming up next, guys, uh, we're gonna talk about uh, what the future might look like for some of the teams sitting here at the top. And uh, the future's probably gonna be pretty bright. But that's coming up here in just a minute. So, stick with us.
1: To stop what you're doing and listen. Oh, we have an unprecedented outbreak.
0: Thousands of us walking the earth.
1: You might die at any moment.
0: Because we're under attack. In which case, we must act fast.
1: Doctors are trying their best.
0: Working long hours. and
1: Always sacrificing their health. To protect you. Well, I'd very much like to thank them. Thanks, doctor. Thank you, doctor. Thank you, doctor. Thank you, doctor. Wait a minute. What's the prognosis?
2: It's still changing
1: so we have a novel virus and no vaccine at this time
2: what should we do we got to get everybody else back into the houses we got to keep on there
1: in other words this is our lockdown right what that means is stay in your homes make no
0: attempt to reach loved ones and take a long nap
1: you can count me out
2: you can count me out too some people are immune to good advice <laughs> you know what i mean
1: those idiots <laughs> i just need to make sure you fully understand
0: Let's recap. I'm begging you.
1: Stay
2: inside.
0: Wash your hands. And make sure you you've got 10 feet of personal space around you.
2: Stay away from me. Stay away from me. Uh-uh-uh. I didn't hear you wash your hands. So think on this, lads. When you're home watching TV. Think about the medical stuff. Working for you. So I'm asking you. Stay home. I'm in isolation. Just stop the virus. All
0: right, I'll do it.
2: Hallelujah. Hallelujah.
0: You stay classy,
1: planet Earth.
0: gentlemen, to the Owl's Nest, Uh, we just got done talking about what we thought personally of the May Melee Tournament format. Here's fingers crossed it's coming back, Uh, it was so successful, I'm pretty sure that it will be, so looking forward to that. But, uh, you know, something that we've done here on the show a few times in the past is, you know, we take a look at two teams at a time, now that we're a little more than halfway over the season now, and kind of talk about what we think the future of these teams Is going to look like, and for the two teams on the docket today, it's pretty bright. Uh, We're going to take a look at both the Shanghai Dragons and the San Francisco Shock, uh, both top teams for their uh, respective regions. So let's go and start with the 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 Shanghai Dragons here, Jake. Uh, They have pretty much been on top of the world over in the Asian region since uh, you know the COVID nineteen online matches have started. So do you think? Do you see anything slowing them down at all at this point?
2: Well, I mean, I think. There's just no no better proof of a team's mental fortitude and skill than a reverse sweep. That I mean, it's, and and the difficulty of achieving that in a, a like a loser map pick format, not to be understated. So they, this is like a super reverse sweep, uh, and and in a best of seven, nonetheless. So that sort of obscene performance, I mean, like that's the sort of thing that you think is just not going to happen when you get to game four. You're like, as an observer, as a as a caster, you're like, well, like let's see how Dynasty finishes this one off. And it takes a few map wins, I think, before you even start to consider the possibility of a full-on comeback. So, you know, for the Dragons to achieve that, like, hats off to them. I'm super impressed by them. Um, and the APAC region has been incredibly competitive. So to even, regardless of the circumstances, just to come out on top is, is a really impressive result. Um, to be honest, this is, like, this is the matchup me and I, and I imagine everyone else is expecting um, <laughs> for, for, like, the, the Grand Finals matchup, mm-hmm. like... Uh, while the Dragons have looked a little bit closer with their division, and the SF Shock looks a little bit further ahead of, of their NA counterparts, I do think that um, these teams are going to be like a really explosive match. Like, Because the APAC region has been maybe a little bit more competitive on average, so Shock being a little bit further ahead uh, of NA, I, I think puts them on relatively equal footing. Especially because these teams don't get to practice against each other due to the region difference. They don't get to experiment to get each other, they don't get to be practice partners. So when these teams clash in a match scenario, it's going to be with very limited experience of each other. It's going to be very, like, focused on, as we've said about the whole season, adopting in the live game. You're going to pull this out. Okay, we're going to have to change to that. And so both teams having this wide toolkit, which they've shown that they do, uh, is, I think, going to be really, really exciting to watch as they sort of cycle through all their different looks, all their different styles. Um in my mind, these teams, like regardless, like I'm, I'm sure they'll take some losses in the regular season. I'm sure it won't be a perfect streak. Like it's incredibly hard to do that with hero pools, so I don't expect that from them. But I do think these are going to be the top seeded teams come playoffs. And if things, if everything looks the same come playoffs, unless some other team comes sort of surging out of left field, there are people who could do that. There are teams like you know Mayhem, I think, who could do that. Um, you know, Seoul looked incredibly good, even getting reverse swept. like They still looked incredibly good in the tournament. They could do that. I think Charge could do that in, in APAC. Like, there are other teams that can surge forward, I think, and, and, and maybe even take these guys out of playoffs early. But if, if you had to guess what's the grand finals going to be, I think you'd be making a mistake to pick two other teams.
0: So uh, these two teams go up against each other. Who do you think has the upper hand here?
2: Honestly, my money is on Shock. Like, despite APAC region probably being a little bit more competitive, my money is still going to be on Shock because I think Shock has just this ridiculous roster depth. Um, and they've they've really understood how to utilize it. So, no matter where the medic goes, I feel the Shock are going to be really strong. I mean, Shanghai are also really strong, but they rely a little bit more, I think, on a consistent, like, they run mostly the same roster. Like, they change DPS, but, but Shock is, like, comfortable changing tanks, DPS, and support. Uh, especially with Twilight in the roster now. So, in my mind, that is going to give them just a little bit of an edge. But, It's not. It's not a confident edge. You know, it's like it's like a few percentiles of an edge. So if Shanghai just shows up strong on game day, they could easily blow Shock out of the water. If if Shock is also, you know, not feeling their best, not playing their best. So, you know, these are two teams where a moment of weakness is going to cost you a fight. It's going to cost you a map. So you know, for either team, like this might be the closest to perfection in Overwatch that we'll ever see is these teams clashing. It could be a little bit more random than that because they don't have experience against each other. So one team might just pull out a strat that the other team isn't ready for and just wipe the floor with them with it. But when it comes to playoffs, back to the loser map pick format, I think that's still going to make for a close series. We could see maps go back and forth um, and the team's strategic preparation really shine through.
0: Well, it's definitely a match that I'm looking forward to and uh, hopefully it is something that we get uh, sooner rather than later. That's going to be everything that we have time for today on the Owl's Nest though. Of course, remember... Make sure that you connect with us on social media. That's CheckpointXP on Facebook and Twitter, JakeOW on Twitter, and Jake underscore OW on Twitch. Jake, thanks so much for joining me today, and a special thank thank you out to Dallas Fuel head coach Arrow for giving us some of his time today. We'll see you next week, guys, and as always, stay on that payload.